this is a guerrilla marketing style. I'm like, no, you, it's, a, it's a jerk marketing <laughs> style. <laughs> Coming to you in your speakers from Dubai to all around the globe. This is James Reynolds Traffic Jam Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to Traffic Jam, the show that's jammed full of tips from the very best internet traffic experts. Hi, this is James Reynolds and this is episode number four. And this week we're recording from a different location. We're in Makati City in Manila, the Philippines, where I'm workshopping with my Super Pinos. And that's the affectionate name I give to my superstar Filipino-based team. Now, production levels this week are probably not quite that of previous shows because we're recording this one on a USB headset, but I'm sure you'll find the content still of the same high quality. Now, if you have a remote workforce, I would really recommend you go visit your team. We've had four days so far of strategy, planning and workshopping on the business, but most importantly, deepening relationships and having a whole bunch of fun too. Now, I know we'll take the business to even greater heights from this point forward, and uh, we've had a lot of fun, mostly on my behalf, I've got to say. The team have been introducing me to local delicacies like the 7% strong Red Horse beer, which I've accepted very gladfully, and also Balut, which is an egg with an unhatched embryo inside, which i got to say I was less keen to try. Um, anyway, Manila experience has been absolutely fantastic, and I'll be returning again in three months from now, where I'm sure we'll record another episode of Traffic Jam. So what we got coming up on the show? Today's feature interview is all about Twitter, and we've got a guy on the show who's kind of a big deal on the platform. His stats for one are off the scale, 144,000 followers, 97,000 tweets, and engagement with his audience that is impressive to say the least. My guest is Mr. Unmarketing Scott Stratton. Now also on the show, we've got the regular slots, this week's news in traffic, the one-minute traffic tip and a Philippine-inspired traffic jam to play out the show. So stick around till the end for that. The Traffic Jam Podcast with James Reynolds. Anyway, right now it's the feature interview, so let's get stuck right in. So welcome Scott Stratton, the president of Unmarketing, who is kind of a big deal on a fairly irrelevant social media site that inflates his own self-importance. Scott, just how important are you on Twitter? Uh, if you ask anybody on the street, um, they have no idea. If you ask my mom, she thinks it's pretty significant. And if you ask <laughs> me, uh, it's the most important thing of all time. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. Awesome. Well, tell me a little bit about what you do, because despite sending 100 plus tweets per day, I'm sure you don't hang out on Twitter all day long. Tell us a little bit about you and, of course, your business activities. What do you get up to? Well, if we, were, if we were having this conversation two years ago and you said, of course, you don't hang out on Twitter all day long, I would have to correct you and say, actually, I am. Because <laughs> um, that's all that's all I did back then. You know, that was where I, because I, I believe that if you want to get noticed and build a platform, you got to be there. And, uh, but for me, I've been doing myself on marketing and the whole marketing world for about uh, almost 12 years now. So I started out doing, um, uh, you know, you know, people listening now, traffic and everything else. I used to do create viral videos before we right. called them viral videos. We actually created them before um, YouTube existed and everything else. So I've been doing traffic generation and lead 
you know, building and list building for, for over 10 years now. So my whole thing is about whether it's social media, whether it's viral, whether it's in person is that I think we should market the way we want to be marketed to, you know, with good content and value instead of being interrupted all day. And I think there's a, there's a place for that somewhere. Absolutely. Good. I'm going to open up with a question that may give you an ulcer when I ask it, Scott, but I'm prepared for that. <laughs> What's the ROI on Twitter? <laughs> Which is, you know what, I think I've gotten, I've just I've been asked it so much that the ulcer just kind of goes away and I just become numb for a few <laughs> minutes when when people ask it. And I, I you know, my answer is, uh, has, has shifted over a few years, but it, it still remains the same is that um, it's not what is the ROI of Twitter the question is really, what is the ROI of a, of a conversation? That's really what that it really boils down to that. A lot of the time when people say, what's the ROI of Twitter? What they're really saying is, I don't buy into it. And until you convince me, I'm not going to use it. That's what it comes down to. Because I, I yeah. do believe we need I, we need ROI on things. I, I certainly, you know, we're, we're in business. And the whole point of business is, you know, you need to have a return on your time investment, on your monetary investment. So I get that. I think it's a fair question. What I don't think is fair is when we judge conversation to a higher standard than any other marketing tool we're using. Like we we don't hold classical advertising to the same uh, standard as we do our social media questions. I could turn around and ask somebody, what was the ROI of the 5,000 golf balls you bought with the company logo on it? And, and, and they just look at me and say, well, it's just an expense. I'm like, well, what is conversation? What is, what is networking? And I, I really don't think that we should be belittling our customers down to the point of saying, what is the value of these next seven words I'm going to say to you? Yeah. Because I don't know. I re- I don't know what the value or the ROI is of looking like you give a damn about your customers. And I don't know the ROI of not giving a damn. I really don't because it's subjective. Like I I don't care if a, a toilet paper company that I use talks to me. I think it'd be <laughs> funny, but I don't I don't I don't care. It's a, uh, but there it leaves an opportunity for another company to come in and for me to get to know them. So I don't I don't know the answer, because you yeah. know what, James, if you go on Twitter tomorrow and you tweet a hundred times, and I go on Twitter tomorrow and tweet a hundred times, and let's say we're both starting from scratch, we can both get t- two totally different results yeah. because of personality, because of uh, because of our goals, because of our skill set, because of our time, and that's the difference. Is there's no, no such thing as a hard ROI from social media? Because if anybody tells you what it is, like here's the number, here's what they're they're making it up. Because it's ROI in advertising is the same. You can't tell me what's the ROI of, of a, an ad you put in a newspaper because it's so subjective. There's so many variables that go into play. Just that's it's actually why I hate seeing studies about Twitter that say the most retweeted words are or how to get the best time to post is because it's all subjective we're these we're, we're data driven freaks now and we don't realize that the data is very contextual to the very individual circumstances well you've obviously done very well using twitter as as, as part of your tool set and i think you've mentioned that twitter has been an influence on mo- much of the success that followed you getting really involved in the platform what mm-hmm. would you consider to be the success that you've been able to um, attribute to twitter well, if, see, for me, and this is, I, you know, I'm going to uh, uh, flip back to what I had just said for people to remember right before I answer this is you ought to understand that this is a context, meaning I, I've become a very successful keynote speaker and author um, by using something, especially Twitter, 
But here's here's the rub, which people don't they don't hear this part. Whenever I say it, when I tell people I've earned over a half million dollars in over two years on Twitter personally, that when I say something like that, people just stop listening right after I say that. They're like, "Oh, it's a gold mine," <laughs> and they go running out to it. What they're not understanding is that I've made a living, um, and a lot of it has to do with Twitter, but it's because I talk about Twitter, and that that's a disconnect people don't realize is that. As an author and a speaker, either even other authors and speakers are like, well, then we can do that too. And I'm like, well, see, it's like it's like me being in a kitchen and talking about food. It's going to work. It's in the right. It's in the right area. It's in the right uh, uh, um, circumstances and environment. But if I got on Twitter and I talked about plumbing the whole time, my success would be greatly different because most of my retweets through the years when I was in that stage of really trying to aggressively build a following, the tweets were about Twitter. Like it's so, it's so matrix, you know, meta to me that were my tweets were about Twitter that got retweeted. Like that's, that's how it worked for me. So my success needs to be taken like anybody's success. It needs to be taken with a grain of salt that, um, I, I, you know, it's, it's a bunch of social media experts talking to a bunch of social media experts and, you know, and we all think we know what we're talking about. So, but I didn't go on there to build a business and we have to understand that too. I didn't go on there and say, I'm going to build revenue. This is going to be a revenue stream. I got onto Twitter in, in 2008, uh, in April, because I, I didn't have a, a water cooler. I didn't, as a, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, I had no place to go to talk to people. I really didn't. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't go there and ask a question about something about running your business. I got on there to find my water cooler. I got on there to find my peers. And, and you know, I had no lack of places to go online. I've been online since 94. I've been to every forum. Every, I've, I've read every Reddit post. I've gone to every forum. I've done, every, you know, all the geek stuff. But I've never found so many uh, uh, in-tune, smart, funny, supportive business owners than I did on Twitter back then. Well, I'd like you to tell me a little bit about how you got started on Twitter because I've seen your stats and – you're on a bit of a casual afternoon stroll for a few months. And then in January, I think 2009, <laughs> it went boom and something happened. Tell me about the early days and how you got going. That's right. That's right. Oh, it's, it went from a casual stroll to a speed bike, you know. And then, uh, <laughs> and, and well, what happened was when I joined in April 08, I did it casually like everybody else. You know what happens? You hear about this thing. You're like, oh, I'll try it too. And I just dabbled and I thought it was kind of stupid you know it's just i didn't really care and somebody said they had a tuna fish sandwich for lunch and i'm i'm like i really don't care about that and i just dabbled and then i realized uh, in january 1st 2009 i said to myself if i'm if i'm a, a marketing person if i'm trying to you know position myself as an authority in marketing i need to use this platform uh, for at least a month and give it my focus. So then I can either write it off and say it's not worth your time or it is. I didn't want to be that marketing guy to to not use it and not recommend it because I don't use it. So I went on there and I lived on Twitter for 30 days. And when I say I lived on Twitter for 30 days, I, I did. You saw the stats. It's it's yeah. I tweeted I tweeted almost 7,000 times in 30 days. And I, I literally lived on Twitter and I went from 1200 <laughs> followers to 10,000 followers. And, um, but those numbers don't mean anything. I, I now have over 145,000 followers, I think. I've tweeted over 95,000 times. <clears throat> those numbers mean nothing. The only number that means anything to me and the only number I ever want people to walk away with is that 75% of my tweets are replies. Yeah. And that number has been the same from a thousand tweets to ninety five thousand tweets. That that's the real secret to Twitter. You want you want Twitter to work for you, then you talk with people. You don't talk at them. Like Twitter's a, a conversation, not a dictation. 
Absolutely. Well, we'll talk about some of the the whys and hows, um, I guess, in a short while. But I want to just sort of continue to talk about your early success with Twitter. Do you think if you started again from scratch today, you'd get the same traction now as you did back then? Yeah, well, I, I, I really... I really want to say that it's the same, like we're all still talking to each other and it's all fine. And it's 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 not totally the same. It's still 140 characters. It's still uh, it's, uh, Twitter shifted a bit, though, that my big momentum when I grew a good bulk of my following and did most of my tweeting was I call it I call it PB, which is uh, pre Bieber, pre Justin Bieber days that, uh, <laughs> you know, pre, that, that, you know, it, there was no there were no real celebrities on Twitter. Back, no Ashton you know, right? No Ashton, exactly. No Ashton. Remember, Ashton was the big celebrity, and yeah. in 08 and 09, you were on Twitter because you wanted to be, right? You weren't on Twitter because you had to. And there's a huge difference between those two things. That the voluntary audience versus the mandatory audience um, is a big shift. And then, then what happened? Because nobody was spamming Twitter then. Nobody was filling it with crap and auto doing this and auto tweeting and scheduling that and, and just broadcasting. And Lady Gaga wasn't talking about her, her, her meat dress and her bacon earrings and whatever else she was wearing. It, it, we, we just talked to each other. And so it does, it has changed. There are still great people. There are still great conversations, but there's a lot of noise. And the nice thing about Twitter though is you can control the noise by who you follow. So you have to be, I, if I started again today, I'd be much more selective on who I followed and I would, you know, really kind of pinpoint who I wanted to talk to and, uh, and try to get around the noise. The, mm. the traction's less, the response is less now, but Twitter's also become a great public megaphone. I love Twitter now for different reasons than why I loved it in the early days. I love it now because when at a time of crisis and a natural disaster or something, people can connect on there and help each other out. I love the support system of Twitter. I love the fundraising side of Twitter, but it's a little bit different than it was that kind of a, a private geek club that it was, you know, f five years ago <laughs> and that we were just there to connect with each other. It was truly a different world. I know you, when you started out, you the sort of strategy of, uh, you know, follow and then follow back. Would you do that the same again? I think I heard you mention somewhere that perhaps yeah. you would do oh. things slightly differently on oh. that part. Yeah, the answer would, the answer would be, oh, uh, hell no, I wouldn't <laughs> do that again. It was, uh, what, what I did was, and here's the problem, is that um, when I started doing the big push, when uh, January 09, I, I made two mistakes I would have changed. And one was auto-following back. Now, I didn't auto-follow anybody. I didn't have a thing to go out and find people. Uh, what I did was, if you followed me, it would automatically follow you back. And yeah. uh, I thought it was being sincere. I thought it was being nice. I thought it was being courteous. And all it did was just clouded my Twitter stream of tweets I didn't, to be honest, I didn't care about. Uh, or, or it was spam. Or it was, you know, inappropriate content. And that was a mistake. I, I really think that people should follow out of obligation. Not, not out of obligation, out of interest, though. And that you shouldn't follow somebody back because you think it's the nice thing to do. Like, I follow 34,000 people or something right now. Fine. I don't follow 34,000 people. I can't follow 34,000 <laughs> people. Nobody can. I actually have a hidden list, a private list that has 102 people on it. And uh, called my awesome sauce list. And that's who I follow. And that should be my following number. And my second mistake was um, I auto DM'd everybody who followed me initially, auto direct messaged them. And, and I, all I said to them was, um, thanks for following me. Uh, how's Twitter treating you? I didn't push anything. I didn't spam anything. I didn't say, go join me on Facebook. And half the 
replies I got back was, uh, is this an auto DM? And people were more questioning than anything else. And the reason I stopped both was actually people started thanking me for following them. They'd write and say, hey, thanks for the follow and or thanks for the follow back. And I, I'm sitting there saying I didn't. You know, it was just a computer that did it, and it's it starts it, it started really realizing it was insincere, and that's not that's not to me what social media was about. So I I, I cut that off, and unfortunately, I cut it off about thirty four thousand people too late. But I, I cut it. Oops. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, let's continue the the conversation on kind of how Twitter can be done badly. Tell me about, and I shall not use the abbreviated version because this is a a family show, F-U-C-C, friendly, <laughs> unsolicited commercial content. What are some of the most kind of criminal acts of social spamming you've been sent? This to me is is pretty much the epidemic of, of the social media problem here, which people I don't think people realize how... Uh, how how impactful it is that um, it's it's I call it, it's warm spam. Yeah. So people have connected, and this could be LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. You pick your pick your platform, and this is when people are now your friend, your connection, your following, and they send you spam. And a lot of the times, it's not just blatant spam. It's not just buy. You know, you see, your buddy's not your, your new business contact might not be sending you you know a, a buy Viagra spam email or something that you know that we are used to <laughs> back in the email spam days. But what they're doing is they're sending you they're just blanketing invites to events they're tagging you in photos about their multi-level marketing opportunity that has nothing to do with you i just had one today i just had one today of somebody sent me a, an invite to an event that was uh, the event was vote for me in this contest oh it's not an event it's not an event right and this guy invited 4900 something people and what happens is they use a uh, a program that automatically invites your whole friend list up to 5,000 people. Yeah. And, and this is like that. That's what we have actually, to me, we've killed Facebook events. That's the most tragic thing I think to happen to Facebook was we killed the, the momentum of Facebook events. I know a lot of people I know, I'm not sure about you or the listeners, but I've killed notifications for invite, invent, yeah, uh, uh, event invites, right? I don't get them. I don't see them. And the problem is now the real events. Uh, I, you don't get noticed. I, I did a, a a party. I threw a party in Vegas. Um, this is this one was uh, two years ago or a year and a half ago. So even two years ago, this was happening. Um, it was during a Blog World a conference. that was happening. I threw a. I did an open bar party, um, and I, yeah, I'm paying for it. And we're gonna do a party, and I'm gonna invite a hundred of my you know people that I like. And what happened was like forty of them never responded at all and i'm like wait a second how do you not respond to an open bar party in vegas like it's just <laughs> how do you how do you not do that and what happened was i talked to a lot of them i ended up you know getting in touch with most of them before the event and most of them said i turned off notifications a long time ago yeah because i can't stand the event spam and that i'm like that made me that, that made my soul hurt you know that you miss a a party of mine because some jerk wants you to vote for the 19th contest they've been in or they're they're or even better their website launch party that uh they're 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 updating their website so it's a party and come to my party and it's just <laughs> that's what we're taking for granted our social connections yeah and we're not on these platforms people say well when do i sell when do i do this i'm like just calm down for a second that you, it's like a networking event. How often in person would you sit there and bring your product and push it in people's faces? You wouldn't do that. Yeah. You wouldn't do that in an event because 
because somebody somebody would punch you in the face. Like it wouldn't happen that way. But we think we can do that on social because it's virtual and it's easier and it's semi-scalable. And that's to me, if you want to pitch something, when I my book came out, you know, we've had two, we have another one coming out next fall. When the book comes out, I promote it on my own wall on Facebook. I promote it in my own tweets. I don't tag, I don't invite. And what happened was people like it and I've built up my social currency with my audience. They're more uh, open to me talking about what I sell. The more you give, the more people want to take from you as well. And but the books have done very well and I've never tagged I never tagged a soul on a book cover to try to sell it. I've never invited a person to my virtual book party. That doesn't actually happen. I, what I do is I, I give to the network and they give back. And I guess it's a travesty, right, that, it, that people still consider it to be uh, social, inverted speech marks, media. <laughs> I mean, they just kind of lost oh, the social me. factor. I, somebody just called it like two days ago, like guerrilla marketing, that – that tagging people, this is a guerrilla marketing style. I'm like, no, it's a, it's a jerk marketing style. <laughs> it's, 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 like, it's not what you, you, you need to do. And I think if, if you have to tag somebody in a post or invite them to a fake event, you need to, you, you just need to give back your business key and, and go work for somebody else or something because it's not. Yeah. Now, you're a big believer, of course, Scott, in uh, real time tweets. What are some of the biggest scheduled kind of tweet faux pas that you've witnessed? Well, I, I, I am. I, I'm a huge – to me, it's uh, – I, I talk about it in terms very black and white about scheduling tweets. My, my whole thing is simply don't do it. Um, I, I, know there's, I, I know there's a gray area there. I understand that sometimes uh, people – you're not the devil if you schedule a tweet once in a while. I get that. But for me, I always ask somebody – when somebody – if I'm on a panel or I'm talking to, you know, with a group of people and somebody argues to me about scheduling tweets because they need to. They're like, well, I'll be in a meeting and this has to go out. And I, I just look at them and say, what content is so important that it has to go out at an exact scheduled time but not important enough for you to be there when it goes out. Yeah. And nobody's ever had an answer to that. Right? That 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 means because to me, especially on Twitter, the main 90% of the reaction to a tweet is within the 5 minutes of after you sent it. That's the main reaction to Twitter. And unlike me, most people don't sit on Twitter all day. <laughs> You know, most people will be there with little windows. And if you post some content, James, let's say you post this interview. Okay. You post it up, but you schedule it. And, uh, and it goes off and it posts at 11 o'clock in the morning your time, but you're not there. And somebody at 1103 writes to you and says, Hey, um, it's not working. Especially that. Maybe the yeah. download link's not working. A, you know, a mistake that can happen, but you don't come back until one o'clock. Let's say, right? And now you've had these people helping you out, and all they know is you tweeted something saying, "Hey, listen to this," which doesn't work. Hey, listen <laughs> to this, but you're not listening to them. Yeah, right? you see the problem here. Like this, and I've seen a lot of real big screw ups, which is great for me because I need content for books and stuff. But I've seen some really bad screw ups. You know, it's and the biggest thing to me that I see that makes brands look stupid is that. When they have their scheduled tweets going and then something like a, a, a natural disaster happens or a, you know, a shooting or something else that like when Bin Laden was 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 killed, companies were auto tweeting their blog posts on the five ways to refinance your mortgage. <laughs> I'm like, it's not you need to hello, you, you stop it. We need to understand that it's, to me, relationships and engagement do not mean automation. You can't automate 
you know, authenticity. Yeah. And, to, and and if, if we're talking to people, like people listening right now who who you know, interested about traffic and conversions and everything else, you have to understand social media is probably the poorest converting platform in classical traffic speak, the poorest converting platform you can find. I really believe that, that it's very bad because we deal with fractional reaction in social media that even myself, if I have 100,000 followers, 10,000 of those are online at any given time, uh, 1,000 of those will ever see my tweet and 100 of those may do something with it. Like it's very, very fractional. Like, you know, you could do the old school <laughs> link farms will get better click throughs, I think, than okay. social. So I don't understand why we automate content through it anyways, because it doesn't work the same as other online marketing platform, platforms. Well, let's flip the coin now. Then let's talk about Twitter done well. What are your top Twitter tips for businesses? Because I guess that's primarily the audience that we've got listening into the podcast sure. today. I think I think consistency is one of the keys to to Twitter is that. You, uh, consistency with, or, or frequency that if you're if you're going to hang your shingle on Twitter as a business, then you need to be there and continue to be there. You don't you don't want to open your store Monday from 11 to 11.05 once a week. It doesn't work that way. And if you only have a limited amount of time in social, um, try to even it out over the week. If you only have, let's say, three and a half hours a week, you can dedicate to a platform or something, then I'd do a half hour a day once a day than I would three and a half hours once a week. It's that consistency over time will, will help you out. Um, I, I think a key of social is actually the opposite of it. If you have a dormant account, if you don't use it often, I delete it. It's actually more dangerous to have a, a dormant account on social because people think you're yeah. there. And I, that's a, that, that, you know, that's a big problem. And, and have those terms set up, have those search terms set up, you know, using any kind of the tools out there that, as your company name, not just your Twitter name, because most people will tweet about a brand without adding their at name to it. So you want to keep your ear open uh, and even misspellings or product names. Like I, I actually was angry at Delta Airlines once. I was so angry. I tweeted Detla. Like I misspelled Delta. I was so angry. I misspelled a five character word. That's how angry <laughs> I was. And they actually have a search set up for misspellings of their name. And they well, found it and they saw it and they replied and they fixed the problem within five minutes. And so I always keep your ear open just because your mouth's not moving all the time. Keep the ear open and at least listen because I've seen the big train wrecks happen over weekends and brands haven't responded, you know, until like 48 hours later because it's the weekend and out outrage doesn't take a weekend off. Like it, it, it's always going and the response time nowadays isn't five days. It isn't a week. It isn't even two days. It's within hours. That's what you're expected now. And that's the way we live now in this world is before this thing gets out of hand, before the momentum kicks in, you want to be able to have your response ready. Well, I'd like to touch on Twitter as a, as a traffic channel because, of course, this podcast is kind of traffic focused. Tell me about your concept of platforming and how you successfully kind of take your influence on Twitter to direct your followers to other areas of your business well and that's the thing is that what I, I created platforming because um there's just so many places you can go and that's a problem especially in social media <clears throat> that uh, there's too many platforms to be on so what i tried to do when i originally joined twitter was uh you, you stand on one platform and you build it and you build it and you build it 
And then when you're at a certain point where momentum starts taking over, you can then step to the next platform. And so what I did was I chose Twitter first. Uh, I was using Facebook already, but that was to talk to people, you know, friends from high school I never liked. And I was already on LinkedIn talking to people I used to work with I never liked. And so, but Twitter was to build a new audience. And what happened was I tweeted 10,000 times before I ever sold anything, before I ever pitched anything, before I even launched my, my blog. Like I, cr- I really created a community first. And then what happens was I expanded it and went to the next step. And all I would do is kind of drip onto Twitter was here's my latest blog post or here's my latest blog post. And uh, when I launched the Facebook group, I announced it to Twitter, but I didn't overdo it. You know, from, for every self-promotional tweet, I tweet a hundred times, you know, between those things. But if I have a blog post now, I'll tweet it out probably three, four, five times over a couple of days. Yeah. Um, and, and, and bring them to my site. Cause at the end of the day, that's, I actually rather have, um, a thousand, newsletter subscribers than 10,000 followers on Twitter. Like that's, there's your headline right there. That's what I'd rather have is a, is a thousand subscribers because I still think email is, is king. And even though social media is sexy right now and shiny, one of the, one of the talents of social is pulling those people over into a list that you can reach out to within your own control. Cool. Got it. Well, one kind of question to finish up on about influence, because you did say that you were one of the most influential people on twitter i've seen a number of lists published locally here in the middle east one with i think wamda another one was arabian business and they'd rank the most influential arabs on twitter now they use some stats such as kind of follower numbers and clout scores but some of the people on the list were somewhat dubious contenders i guess in in my eyes what's the true best way to measure influence on twitter well, there's there's the million dollar question. Really, is is what is influence, and can it actually be measured? Like where when I got named one of the top five social media influencers uh, on Twitter, they, they used analytics of a site, and they used all type of things, whether it was tweet reach and when you tweeted something, how far it got, how influential are the people that you were influencing, uh, stuff that I don't even understand. But to me, at the end of the day, is even influencers are contextual. You know, at the start of this conversation, I was talking about how we have to understand that these things are within a certain context that an influencer you want to reach out for, for your business may not be on that list. You just described that you have to define what's an influencer for you. And to me, I, I worked with clients when we did this stuff, it was like, um, it wasn't just following or reach or cloud score. And those can all play in it. If you want, you know, following follower count is a, you know, is if more iffy now than it ever has been because the amount you can buy followers, you can you know, do the auto follow, follow back type of stuff that it's not the size of it, it's the quality of the connections. And I, I think that, you know, clout and cred and those type of things do have some weight to them. It's not be all and end all, but there's some weight to them. But to me, the best way to do it, like an influencer outreach and find them is to look for a handful of people who do have a, you know, a somewhat of a follower count, but they have resonation with them, meaning it when they say something, people talk yeah. and people listen. And But at the end of the day, the biggest question anybody listening right now has to ask is that, are they a good representation of our brand? That's really what it comes down to about influencers. If I want to bring an influencer into my campaign, I got to say, they're representing my brand. Are they the best fit? And you have to read their stream to see that. You know, are they, are they making off color jokes? Are they doing things that would not represent you? Whatever they're saying on Twitter has to be able to go on a billboard with your logo on it. So make sure that you find the right fit, not just the quote, best person you out there. Awesome. Great stuff, Scott. Well, we've gone for pretty much. 30 minutes now, so I think we should kind of draw things to 
a close. What would be your final word of wisdom to pass on to anyone who's listening into this podcast? Uh, yeah, it, I, I'm going to go against the grain for it and say that you, that nobody listening right now has to be on social media. There is a great advantage to it. There's a great ability to use it. But the first thing you have to realize is that mandatory engagement is a bad term. Use it because you want to use it. Don't use it because you, you, you've been told you should. There you go. Heard it here first. The Twitter expert says you do not need to be on social media. <laughs> Scott, where can listeners find out more about you? Uh, come to uh, my world's under the name Unmarketing. So Unmarketing on Twitter, Unmarketing on Facebook, Unmarketing.com. The first book's called Unmarketing. The second book's called The Book of Business Awesome. And the third one coming out in September is called uh, QR Codes Kill Kittens. So stay tuned for that. Great stuff. Well, I'll make sure that we post some links beneath this recording to make sure that everyone can find Unmarketing really easily. Scott, thanks for coming on the show and um, I hope to see you again soon. This week's news in traffic. Now, Pinterest is a hot topic of conversation around here since my interview with Jason Miles a couple of weeks ago, which incidentally do go and check that out if you've not listened to it yet. Pinterest this week have announced that they've added Pinterest analytics, which gives site owners insights into how people are interacting with their pins that originate from their websites. Now, if you have a verified website, you'll get information about how many people have pinned from your site, how many people have seen these pins and how many people visited your site from Pinterest. So go check that out. Facebook this week has quietly changed the rules about what content you can have on your fan page cover image. Everything but the 20% rule has been scrapped and you can now reintroduce calls to actions, pointing people to your website or blog or maybe even your opt-in to your email list. Now, I've already updated my cover image in light of the changes and you can go and see that by going to www.likejames.com. Now, in Google News, they have announced closure of Google Reader, their RSS reader, from 1st of July 2013. Now, this is a good reminder that you should not be single point sensitive and reliant solely on a single third party service. Now, if you are using Google Reader, then you'll need to find another option before the summer. Also in Google News, Matt Cutts, head of Google's spam division, has indicated that there are major Google Penguin and Google Panda algorithm updates coming later this year. And in fact, the latest Panda update we think was rolled out last weekend. I reported about this over at SEOSherpa.com, our SEO services division, and revealed exactly how our core websites have actually seen incremental increases resulting from recent algorithm updates and how you can get the same results too. So head on over to SEOSherpa.com and learn how for yourself. I received a very nice comment from Alvin this week who said, fantastic podcast, James, kudos. He then went on to say, very direct, no unnecessary chatter. And we've also raised the bar on the podcast arena. So thank you, Alvin. He also requested some classic tunes from the past, some 60s, 70s and 80s for the Traffic Jam Jam and specifically Help by the Beatles. So Alvin, we'll see what we can do on that. Stay tuned in the coming weeks. Trafficjamcast.com. If you have a comment or even a question you would like me to answer on the show, head on over to trafficjamcast.com. There's two options, speech pipe and leave a message. They're the places to do it over on the website. The one minute traffic tip. 
Now, measuring your traffic sources is, of course, critical to know what's driving your results. Most people know about Google Analytics, and I guess the majority of people listening to the call would probably be implementing that on their website. But one tool you may not have heard of is Live Chat by LiveChatInc.com. Now, this is actually a chat software that integrates real-time analytics. That means you can have an interface open on your computer and see who's on your site at that precise moment. From that interface, you'll see who is on the site and what page they are on. You'll see where they are located based on their IP address, and you'll even see the referring source of traffic, i.e., where they were before they came to your site. Now, some of the reasons why I like this is one, it ensures you're not solely reliant on Google Analytics and you get a secondary source of data. But also, I like it because you can engage visitors in relevant chat. Knowing what page they are on and how they found the site, which is absolutely killer for conversions. Now I've got to give a mention to James Shramko, who put me onto this bit of software, and it's absolutely awesome. Go check it out. Okay, that's it for another episode of Traffic Jam. I'll be back next Friday. If you've enjoyed the episode, please leave me an iTunes review, and I'll give you a shout out on next week's show. Playing us out this week is a track picked by my team here in Manila, and it is of course a Filipino-inspired tune. It's the Black Eyed Peas Bibot, which incidentally in Tagalog means pretty woman. So enjoy. Pakinggan nyo ko Ito ng tunay na Pilipino Galing sa baryo sa pangbato Pumunta ng LA nagtrabaho Para makatulong sa nanay Dahil sa hirap ng buhay Pero masaya pa rin ang kulay Pag kumain nagkakamay Yung kanin, chicken adobo Yung balot binibenta sa kanto Tagay mo na nga ang baso Pare ko, inuman na tayo Pilipino, 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 Bebo, bebo, be, bebo, bebo, be, bebo, bebo, be. Ikaw ang aking bebo, bebo, be, bebo, bebo, be, bebo, bebo, be. Ikaw ang aking bebo, bebo, be, bebo, bebo, be, bebo, bebo, be. Ikaw ay Pilipino, 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 Pilipino. Mas dumo magagandang dalaga, nakakagigil ang beauty mo talaga. Lambing hindi nakakasawa, ikaw lang ang gusto makasama. Yung bahay o kubo, pag ibig mo ay totoo. Puso ko'y laging kumikibo, wala kang katulad sa mundo. Pinay kasigaw na, sige kung maganda kasigaw na. Sige kung buhay mo'y mahalaga, sige salamat sa iyong suporta. Pilipino, Pilipino, Pilipino. You've been listening to the Traffic Jam Podcast with James Reynolds. To know more about this program and to subscribe for future episodes, check out the website, trafficjamcast.com. 
Pinoy kasigaw na Sige, kung maganda kasigaw na Sige, kung buhay mo'y mahalaga Sige, salamat sa iyong suporta Sige, Pinoy kasigaw na Sige, kung maganda kasigaw na Sige, kung buhay mo'y mahalaga Sige, salamat sa iyong suporta Pilipino Pilipino Pilipino